Right, hello uh, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Trend Signal podcast, uh, the trading podcast that gives you a lively run through of the markets, what to look out for and how to improve your trading. My name is Adrian Boothie. I've been trading the market since 2002 and I'm now head of trading at Trend Signal. And today I'm joined with Trend Signal's chief market analyst, uh, Jerry Miller. How are you, Jerry? I'm fine. Good afternoon, all. Uh, good. So, uh, well, we've got what a busy week uh, this week. It's election week uh, in the uh, UK. Uh, we've got a few central banks uh, putting a few uh, announcements out as well. So it's certainly a lot to get our teeth into today. So why don't we kick that off really? And we'll start off with, uh, so what do we know? In this section, we're going to look at really what happened last week, where the movement was, where the opportunities were, and I guess more importantly, how could we have known about it all before the event? So Jerry, uh, what happened last week then? Oh, yeah, interesting market. Two halves, a week of two halves. We started off uh, last week with some markets were sort of under a bit of pressure. Um, we had uh, some of that uh, angst over that Hong Kong bill uh, that yeah. Trump signed, and that sort of caused a bit of, sort of ripples in the market. Traders and investors thinking that Trump perhaps then uh, the China US deal, trade deal, would not happen. Trump came out and said he wasn't rushed. He didn't sort of seem care if it wasn't signed until the election next year, which really sort of in the um, second half of the week, um, rumours circulate in Washington that the first phase of a trade deal is near to signing and uh, it's all forgotten about. And, <laughs> and to be honest, it, it, is a, it is a difficult time of year to start shorting markets. And I know we had a real sell-off. We talked about it last week. Yeah. But it, it, it's not usual. It's not usual. And, and, and what plays into the hands of the markets is that it tends to be quite positive. Equities do well, dollar does well. Uh, and we had good good um, data out at the end of the week, didn't we, that non-farm payroll. I mean, that said, we had a bit of a slip um, sort of November last year, didn't we? Well, December last year. December yeah. last December. year. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Just feels a bit different uh, now, though, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Uh, and having said that, you know, VIX where it is, we had a bit of a banana skin at the beginning of the week, didn't we? In fact, it's quite an aggressive uh, banana skin, wasn't it? Yeah, and, it, and we did say, that you can get slip ups at this time of year, but it was, God, it was short lived though, crikey. Yeah, I was expecting more, uh, yeah. to be honest. I, I, I sort of, I'm going to talk about, you know, what are we trading in a second, but I sort of do feel like there might be another wave lower, but maybe I'm just talking my own book. Yeah. Uh, well, it's possible, uh, surprises and, and the like, but, you know, you, the market knows that the Fed aren't going to be doing anything this week. It doesn't seem like there's too much to upset it, but, you know, we're only, what will it be, the 9th of December? We've still got a few uh, trading days before the Christmas lull. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So a lot of stuff can happen. But that non-farm payroll data Friday was so good. Yeah. I mean, really, it just, I did wonder when we got that bad bit of data out for October numbers last month. And I sort of thought, how come that's dipped? And of course, there we go. You get a very positive number. Not only do we get a, a beat on the, uh, uh, we beat forecast for so November jobs, but they revised up October's jobs. So I think that the net effect was that there's something like 110,000 more jobs created than expected. Yeah, that's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, Particularly so when you look at the uh, unemployment rates um, out there at the moment. So, you know, it's, it was 3.6, it's, it's, it's now 3.5%. Similar in the UK, these are ridiculously low levels, uh, really, aren't they? Don't they say like full employment's like, I don't know, like, well, I can't I, remember I, the number, I, isn't well, it? No, no, it can be lower than that, but 4%. I remember the FT and a lot of uh, outlets sort of suggesting that full employment, it couldn't get much lower than this. And here we are now, 3.5%. You do need a, a certain amount of unemployment whilst people change jobs 
take time out, all that sort of stuff. But it is extraordinary how tight that labour market is. And it's, it's extraordinary how tight the labour market is without any increase in average hourly earnings. And yeah, that's, that's, what... that's the weird thing, isn't it? Because, yeah. of course, you know, there's lower in, unemployment. People are more secure in their jobs. People start pushing for um, better pay right. and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And, you know, you, you, or you, if you're going to recruit outside of that, you also got to tempt people to leave their jobs to move. They, you've got to tempt them with bigger pay than what they're already on. So it tends to lead to quite a bit of inflation uh, there. And it's not really happening. Just a, it's certainly uh, sort of a bit of a, a mystery to some economists and uh, uh, and I think the Federal Reserve would quite like to see a tick up in average hourly earnings. They'd quite like to see a pick up in inflation data, which we get this week, uh, because that's why they're cunning rates. You've got a very tight labour market and no inflation. Yeah. That breaks every rule in the book you know, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that I read. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. OK, so what about sterling then? So a um, bit of flux ahead of the election Thursday. Um, everyone in the UK, just so you know. Yeah, I... I in case you missed it. It, it, it. It's a big event for us, obviously, outside the UK. There's a lot of stuff going on with, as you mentioned at the beginning, of this, uh, with central bank meetings, etc. But for us here in the UK, yeah, it's a defining moment. Uh, we just want some resolution from the Remain-leaning uh, Parliament uh, to uh, Brexit going nowhere. And, and, you know, we had, I don't know, a year or two of this before the referendum in, in 2016. Here we are you know, December 2019, if this isn't resolved now, oh, I mean, there's, you could just, I, I, th I think we, the way it's heading suggests in the polls, in the betting markets that the Tories are going to get a majority, but a lot of stuff is still up in the air. There's Absolutely. tactical voting, there's all these sort of issues, which I don't know the answer to, but all I can say is, Adrian, you and I know, the pollsters got the, the Brexit referendum wrong. They got the 2017 election wrong. They got the US presidential election wrong. You know, they don't have, they've played three, lost three. It's not, yeah. not a great result so far. It's not, is it? Well, it's interesting. I mean, you look at this uh, website, Politico, which I think you introduced me to, Joe. Fascinating. Yeah. You can get, sort of go back for sort of five years or so with the um, sort of poll of polls uh, here. And what sort of feels different this time is that you know, this was here, the, the election in 2017, you can see the Labour line being red, the blue line being the Conservative vote, really tightening up uh, into uh, the election uh, on the polls. I and mean, that was quite dramatic, wasn't it? The dementia yeah. tax and all yeah. that sort of, uh, sort of stuff. Very significant change. And actually really tight uh, back in 2015 uh, between the polls, 33, 33, 34, you know, extremely tight. And it really seemed to separate on that election week. Mm. So you had this massive change in the week into the election in, in uh, 2015, exactly the same in 2017. You know, Albeit a bigger scale. Albeit a different scale, but the point being is a massive change in the polling, whereas it's not really happening this time. It's sort of consistently like a couple of tram lines really, aren't they? They're both sort of rising as people are sort of increasingly polarised with their votes. It's either Conservative or Labour. Well, and... that, that's the interesting thing in this election, which hasn't helped Labour at all, and it has probably helped the Tories, is how badly uh, the Liberal Democrats have performed. But, but in a way, you know, they were talking about revoking Article 50, just being the party for Remain. And I think even a lot of Liberal Democrat supporters actually believe that the Democratic view is that we, we should be leaving the European Union. You can't, you can't say we can't say we should ignore it and just revoke Article 50. So I think it has become a two-horse race, but that's down to the strategy of the Liberal Democrats, and it's played into the hands of the uh, 
two main parties, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be fascinating, the polls over the next couple of days, but as I say, that if, if, if anything, you know, they're, they're, the difference remains exactly the same and has been for the last couple of weeks. So, That's right. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is, well, just different over the last... Um, yeah, I mean, there was, a, there was a little bit of an narrowing at the end of last week, and the number of seats on the betting exchanges came into about 39 at 44, but it's, as you and I know, Adrian, we're just looking at it, it's about 345 bid now, so yeah. it, it's it's just different to the last two elections. It just looks more predictable, if you could say that. Yeah. If you dare say that. Yeah. So Sterling had a big rally last week. Um, the, 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 the Very much um, pushed us into the upside over the last few months, really. In fact, we've seen the monthly trends change direction. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, do you think the rise in the pound is a function of um, uh, people, the consensus wanting a conservative majority, or is it just wanting certainty? Is that is that the catalyst well, for the rise? I, I think the perceived, well, I think the perceived wisdom in the city, uh, where traders and investors are concerned, and overseas investors, remember they're very sensitive to this. Um, a lot of short hedges were put on, so a lot of institutions, traders and investors have put on short positions in sterling following the referendum result because they were told that it would. Britain would go to hell in a handbasket, yeah. there would be a recession in six months, it didn't happen. Uh, and then with Boris Johnson being elected, uh, um, the, the Conservative Party and Prime Minister, he took the stance that he had to renegotiate the Brexit withdrawal deal and that if you can get one that suited the UK, there would be no deal. And the no deal precipitated further hedging, further selling. As we saw Sterling hit the lows, what it was at the beginning of September, one. You're just below 121, 19, something, 119, yeah. I think it was. Uh, and here we are. Uh, way... this is, this, I've got the weekly chart up here. Significant rally from sort of one, yeah, low, below 120. Yeah. Here we are, just shy of 132s. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's that's 12 cents. So that's yeah, significant. Like 10%, 10% rally, that's massive. Adrian, it's, it's actually important to understand who is buying it. Yeah. There is speculative buying in there. And, and you know, a currency represents, you know, the standing of the country. Uh, whether it's going to be positive or negative for it. Uh, and you think, looking at what's taking place here, that there's going to be a positive outcome to the election. And that is reflected in the price of sterling and what we're seeing in the betting exchanges regarding the number of seats. Who's buying it? I'm pretty certain a lot of it is short covering. So it's institutions, investors, traders, hedge funds, lifting those short hedges. So where they've sold... So they they're were selling it, them. they were speculating on the pound falling, and now they're closing that trade well, off. Well, they, were not, they weren't speculating on it falling, they needed to protect themselves against it falling. So, sort okay, of amounts so to the same hedge, thing. Yeah. Well, whatever it is, they are lifting those hedges. So, to, to close out a short trade, they've got to buy it. So, the buying that you're seeing is just that. Sure, there's a speculative element to it, but I'd say it's probably 25-30% of it um, at this stage. Um, and you will, ironically, when the event is known on Friday morning or Thursday evening after the exit poll, it'll react. Usually pretty accurate. Oh, isn't? yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if you don't want to wait up all night, just listen to the exit poll, you have a pretty good idea. Sterling will react to that immediately. That, that, that's when it all happened. And that's what happened in 2017 when uh, the exit poll said that there was going to be no overall majority, which was like you could have had a pin drop at the party I was at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. OK, so. Um, uh, so what else? Uh, anything else to go through from last week? Uh, yeah, there's some sort of pretty poor data from Germany. Well, it's mixed data from Germany, but all this discussion about Germany is because Germany is a powerhouse in the in Europe, in the Eurozone. 
Uh, we do watch all that data coming out with interest because um, without a strong Germany, the EU is going to struggle. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the reasons why I just wonder how high the euro, the euro can go, especially when it's now been labelled as the funding currency uh, for carry trade. That's horribly complicated. Just to explain it very, very simply, it's very cheap to borrow euros, but you don't get a great return holding euros. Mm. So you borrow euros, sell them. So you're borrowing them at nothing because it doesn't cost anything to borrow euros. You sell the euros and you buy dollars or you buy sterling and you get a lot better return for your money. That's called a carry trade. And whilst the euro has become the world's funding currency, it ain't going to go up. No. It should be higher, but it's not at the moment. Okay, so onto the EU, and we've actually got um, their interest rate decision this week. Yeah, we? yeah, so, uh, so why don't we have a look at what don't we know yet? So we're gonna get into effectively the items that are coming out that might impact the markets uh, for, uh, for for the week ahead. So Jerry, um, but, we're gonna bring the economic calendar up. Let me give us a, a, a quick, quick, uh, quick run through. I'll do a very, very quick run through, because yeah. I know there's stuff you wanna get on uh, to. Well, uh, quick, well, uh, yeah. let, let's jump to. Should I just put the reds up? Yeah, yeah, do. Just my impact ones makes it uh, makes it easier yeah. um okie dokie uh nope that's wrong week. that's last week what are we doing i was just thinking i've got something wrong there we go okay uh, this, <laughs> this german zdw economic sentiment indicator it it used to be sort of high impact and then for some reason the product factor then debated it to medium impact but it's actually one of these really useful forward-looking measures of the state of the German economy. So it's what we call a, a leading indicator. So it's going to tell us what will happen in the future, it, or at least it can do. And this is a measure of the uh, of investors and analysts' sort of sentiment. Uh, and well, it, it, it's something that has struggled. If it can, if we can start to see some green shoots in Germany, it will be helpful. Because last week we had this data about regarding industrial output that it showed um, a drop of 5.3% in October from the same month last year, so October 2018. And that's pretty dire. Uh, and then you read the stats about the German car, car industry that employs something like 800,000 people. They're having to get rid of between 50 and 100,000 jobs. Production or, or, or uh, yeah, sales of new cars has fallen something like 15%. And it's all the cream's been taken off the top because of the um, China US trade war. And mm. um, there's one thing that Chinese won't be doing when things are looking a bit dodgy uh, is to start buying Bentleys and uh, Mercs and BMWs. Yeah, I'm afraid. And, and BWs, don't forget them. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's the um, reason why I'd quite like to see that number. And if we do get a particularly weak number, it won't help the euro one bit. Uh, Wednesday, uh, busy day Wednesday. Obviously, we've got the um, uh, interest rate news at seven o'clock in the evening. Interest rates are always very important for economists. That's how the central bank controls. We'll talk about that in a second. Okay. That's going to be our definition of the week. So okay, we'll come back to yeah. that. So, so inflation, core CPI, that stands for consumer price index. So uh, that's inflation to you and me. And we look at the core number in the US, they strip out the volatile food components. And all I would say is uh, just one word, and that's benign. Uh, there ain't much going on there. Yeah. Um, and, we and, and we're not really expecting much going on with to do with um, no. Fed, the Fed funds rate, are we? No. Interest rates no. in the States, no. the bank rate. Nothing, nothing, nothing there. Uh, and then we've got um, the, U, uh, the European decision, the ECB rate on those money. And also uh, something I uh, glossed over when we 
discussed it. Oh, I'm not sure. Is it monetary policy assessment? I'm not sure. It's the Swiss National Bank's. Would, yeah, that's. Yeah. <laughs> it says it all when they stick it in as a, an amber uh, uh, announcement, really. Uh, yeah, the S&P right. policy rate. Well, that's because they never ever do it. They've kept their rate at minus 0.75 percent for. Well, if it, since I think you're in short, so I'm not sure. Not that attractive. <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, obviously the elections we've talked about. Uh, the um, European Central Bank is the one of interest. It's of interest because, unfortunately, un uh, like the Swiss National Bank, there's going to be absolutely no change in policy there. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why is that um, it's Christine Lagarde's first rate setting um, uh, meeting. And uh, they said in the previous meeting they're not going to be doing anything. A bit like the FOMC, who are going to do nothing in the US as well, because they said last month, that's it. They're not cutting again because they've cut them three times in the last three meetings. You want to see the effects now. Yeah, they want to see what, you know, what effect it's having. And, and those effects can take, you know, six to nine months to feed through. Would US retail sales be quite important? We've got, uh, obviously, in the aftermath of Cyber Monday, Black Friday, and all that sort of, all those shenanigans. Uh, yeah, they are. They used to be a lot more useful, and uh, perhaps in uh, this particular week, with them following on from the rate decision, uh, retail sales are pretty much sort of as expected from last month. So not much change. Uh, so nothing too much there. But if we have a particularly strong showing, that might start to put some of the interest rate expectations next year back a notch or two, because having had a strong uh, NFP non-farm payroll yeah. number last Friday. Uh, retail sales is uh, another interesting number that people follow quite closely. So yeah, I agree. It'll be uh, inflationary, isn't it? So uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, good, lovely. And of course, a little thing called the um, general election. So that sort of brings me on to the uh, the next bit, uh, really, of the uh, of the session, which is uh, to do with what should we be trading. I'm just going to have a look at a handful of markets um, just to. Uh, see what's really going on uh, with those. Uh, it shouldn't take more than a few minutes, uh, everybody. Uh, I'm going to start off with a quick look at uh, the pound. We talked about that a little bit already. Um, who's it? Goldman Sachs had a target at uh, sort of 132. Uh, uh, you yeah, were saying yeah. uh, if um, if a majority comes through, that was a little while it's ago. A few, it's a few months ago, but it's interesting how perceptions have changed when the, when sterling's back, you know, down on its lows. I suppose 132 is a long way away. But curiously, um, our Trendsignal Weekly Pivot Point predicted that uh, back in what March yeah. or uh, May <laughs> um, this year. So uh, yeah. 131.99, that really is we the, be there the, the short-term we, target. And we, as I said, we're pretty much there. And this yeah. goes back to the risk being very much to the short side, that we're pretty much there, if you like, of where it's, it was likely to get to. I think we, we still think, you know, if, if it's a um, convincing majority, it'll shoot, uh, shoot to the upside. But... You know, if there isn't, I think there's probably more, uh, probably a bigger fall, more like uh, to take place than the size of the rise, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the fact that sterling is rallying 12 cents against the dollar is uh, it's pricing is, in already, is isn't it? So, so effectively, if we're pricing in a majority and the majority comes in, well, you've already got the majority and it's already priced in, so you wouldn't really expect it to mean to move too much, other than perhaps a little relief rate, maybe. There may, there may um, be some sort of speculative interest in that pushes it up. I think it could get, it's possible it could spike up to the 140 area. Yeah, possibly. But if you're at 132, that's only eight cents, and you could say, well, only eight cents, but that's a big move, isn't it? Um, and 140 is not the, beyond the realms when I mean, it was there back in sort of yeah. April last yeah. year, so it's not been there that long yeah. ago. Yeah. You, you look at what Sterling did, you know, and what is it? Uh, End of October, it rallied uh, sort of 
I don't know, eight cents. So you can have big, big moves quite quickly, and Sterling's notorious for that. And the risk to the downside, well, you may think it's unlikely. Uh, the pollsters may say it's unlikely. The betting exchanges may say it's unlikely. But we've already discussed they don't have a great track record. On the downside, if there is no uh, workable majority or if it's a hung parliament, and God forbid, uh, certainly for the city and sterling assets, if there was um, Labour, SNP, alliance of sorts, uh, it would be disaster. It would be disaster for sterling assets. I think sterling would trade below 120, maybe 115. Um, yeah. So when we talk about risk, it doesn't mean we necessarily think that's going to happen, but there's a greater uh, potential on the downside at this stage, albeit the probability of that downside is lower than the move on the upside. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. We look at this um, uh, sort of this chart here. This is the monthly now. So we've turned up on the uh, the monthly uh, on pound dollar, having hit this sort of support pivot back from 2017. So there's a lot to be excited about on the upside uh, for pound dollar. Um, it's just a question of what the result on Thursday yeah, is. I think that's, that's really what it comes down to. So in terms of what should we what should we be trading? Maybe um, just be a little careful uh, in the uh, the run up uh, to the election from Thursday. Let's get that out of the way. I think then it'll be a lot more interesting to trade the pound. Uh, and I think probably what could be quite a lively few months uh, really after that. And, and, and the important thing is it removes that uncertainty, probably certainly about the election and probably about Brexit. Yeah. In which case I think it comes a lot. Uh, let's say more predictable. When you start to get some decent swings, you can start to rely on them and trust them more. Yeah, and that you're not going to get some sort of comment and impulsive move from the European Commission or the British government or or Labour or something. Yeah, that's right. Interesting then. Okay, so that moves on to the equity market. So we've got the S and P's here. Uh, short signal uh, on uh, was it Tuesday last week? We didn't take it because it. One of our rules is if it's against the trend and it follows what we call a continuation trade, because it's so heavily against the trend, we just don't take those uh, that opportunity. In fact, what we're really doing is waiting for the next buying opportunity uh, really here. It's an interesting time for this market, though, uh, because, you know, I look at this level, this pivot point here, 131.47, uh, which we nudged on Friday and we sort of rejected that level marginally. We're holding off it. It's just where my cursor is in the horizontal line across there. It'd be interesting to see if we get a failure from here. If it can't break through there, often a pattern that people often like to see is the market's had a big run up. It tries to have um, uh, have another go at it. And if that fails, and that's really going to expose the market having a lack of buyers up here. So if it does fail, starts to ease back, you could end up seeing it falling quite hard. Uh, but we just have to keep an eye on that. I think really, see that number there, that 31.47, the S&P cash. I think we can see a, uh, the you know a close above there, a convincing close above that number. It should lead to higher prices if we continue to reject that. Then we'll really see a, a more of a downtrend carrying on uh, with the S and P's. But you know we'll see, as Jerry mentioned earlier, sort of seasonally relatively strong for equities. However, when you look at um, you know, the VIX volatilities at the moment, there could still be room for the downside. But I do think that one uh, 31.47 is is a pretty key level for the S&Ps. I mean, it, it, you, you get people arguing, uh, providing a case for markets coming off. And of course, there's so many different reasons why it could. Yeah. But equally so, you know, it, we're up at the highs. Then they're not at the highs because people are selling. They're not there because people are buying. People like it, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you could say, well, market breadth, look at the fact that it's been driven. Certainly, and that has been driven higher by a, a few number of stocks. Uh, yeah. You have to look at the likes of Apple. Look at it. 
it's really yeah. Good, yeah. Uh, quick question here, uh, Shakti, what does the IG call the S&P 500? Uh, I'm not too sure, uh, probably the US 500, something like that, uh, or the S&P, so the S and, so the and symbol, uh, P uh, 500, be something like that. Probably yeah, the US 500. Yeah, like yeah. If you look at US indices, though, you'll see it, and it'll be, it'll be really the only one that's for 500 um, uh, instruments, uh, Shakti. So you've got the Dow, which is 30 stocks, you've got the S&P 500, you've got the Russell, you've got, so you don't generally get the Russell on uh, UK brokers, it's not really traded so much, so that's broader uh, markets. Uh, the US 30s, uh, Wall Street, okay, it's probably the S&P, S&P uh, 500, something like that, US 30. Or, or, or US 500, be something like that, Shakti. Uh, okay, um, so uh, what else? I brought the FTSE up here. FTSE is going to be a little bit of a slave to uh, really what happens with the S&Ps, to tell you the truth. I mean, the market uh, will generally f uh, follow that market. It's less affected by the whole Brexit thing. Why is that, Jerry? Well, because it, it's largely uh, dominated by uh, international companies that don't really have a business. In fact, a lot of them mining companies, a lot of uh, uh, financial companies are not just here in the UK, they're large, they have a lot of overseas earnings. And in fact, the FTSE tends to be more affected by the currency. Yeah. And you saw that after the Brexit, oh, gotcha. and, uh, sterling slumped. Uh, and the FTSE slumped, I remember thinking, I wonder if it's if sterling slumping, surely that's making it cheaper. Lo and behold, the thing absolutely took off. So it's a question what happens with sterling, really. And, and that's one of the reasons why the FTSE has not done what the DAX, what the uh, S&P, Dow, uh, Nasdaq have all done, and it's a waiting game. But if you had got a chart on the FTSE 250, that's UK PLC, and that would look completely different. So just to be clear, just to, in layman's, it's going to follow the uh, the pound a little bit more closely yeah. because of all the exports yeah, uh, that these companies are so, so uh, it's overseas trade, basically. Earnings translated yeah. into pounds, but also when if you're in the United States and you've got dollars. And you're looking at the cost of uh, buying a share in the UK and sterling, if sterling's strengthening all the time, the cost to you in dollars is going up and up and up. Mm. Whereas if sterling's falling, you could look at some of the stocks in the foot and think, hey, God, these look of good value. Yeah. So that's you know an important factor to take into account. Apart from the fact that no one's going to make any decision before an election, that's for sure. So mm. uh, the whole thing is... Uh, going to be uh, on hold until Friday morning. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of the thing really with this week, you know, you, you've got the interest rate stuff, although that's not really going to be a big impact, but certainly uh, the election. So probably a case of just holding fire on the pound, holding fire uh, on the FTSE, and let's just see if we can get a few fireworks on the S&Ps that can really create some movement uh, really on those markets. Um, okay, uh, so uh, we got a couple other bits to go through, uh, just uh, to go through defining trading um, with interest rates being a key focus of the week. Do you want to quite, uh, just take a, a little look at to do with base rates? Um, this section only looking at sort of a minute or two, uh, guys, so don't worry, it's not going to be too stale. Um, but, you know, Jerry, just let us know for a second, how do interest rates, so you've got FOMC, you've got um, the Federal Open Market Committee, you've got the Monetary Policy Committee in the UK, you've got ECB uh, in Europe. Uh, they can change the um, their base rates, and that's effectively interest rates, because what does that all mean? How does it all work? Let, let us yeah, know. Most central banks, in fact, all central banks, uh, they're, they are charged with managing inflation so price stability yeah okay and monetary policy 
is determined by interest rates because that's how you control in, uh, inflation. So if you have, if you charge more money to borrow money, it'll dampen down inflation. So it's a, it's a great way of uh, slowing down an economy or speeding it up at the moment. And that's because banks get their liquidity from the central bank. Well, the, uh, well, the transmission of the what the central banks do is far the, the banks correct. Yeah, yeah. they don't. You don't, as an individual, you wouldn't borrow money from a central bank. It's all, it goes via the usual channels, whatever those channels are. But the key thing is central banks control the velocity and supply of money. And that's the way they slow down or speed up inflation. It's, that's the general rule. It does take a while for those effects to come into place. And it's a bit like steering an oil tanker. You know, if you want to take a view on uh, inflation now, i.e. if it's slowing, you've got to open up the sluice gates a little bit and cut interest rates to encourage it now, and it will have an effect over the next six to nine months. Time. Okay, so when you cut rates, the idea being that the, bank, the banks will pass some of that saving on to individuals, which effectively means that our mortgages are cheaper, so we've got a bit more disposable. Cost of borrowing income. goes down. Yeah. So effectively, and it makes our savings less attractive, so we may as well spend it instead of leaving it there and probably losing money against inflation. So uh, effectively, cutting rates makes us to go out and spend more, gives us more disposable income. Uh, raising rates effectively will slow uh, the economy down. But what's the, what's the impact then on the actual pound? So if you were to raise rates, what would that typically do to the pound? Then? Well, well, what that does, it makes sterling look more attractive to investors because of rates of return because they're getting a better interest a return on their money uh, and that's it's important uh, and you'll often see a big flow of capital and it can flow very easily these days if you get a yeah. sudden surprise uh, like the Bank of Canada cutting interest rates or the Reserve Bank of, New of Australia cutting interest rates when they weren't expected literally within an hour the currency will, will, will slide maybe two two and a half percent and it, that happens because people can move money out of a currency very, very quickly these days. So effectively, if they were thinking they're going to be getting, uh, say, you know, half percent, three quarters percent, all of a sudden it's changed. Mm -hmm. Actually, it might attract a lot of money. Suddenly, a lot of money might go out of the economy, out of that, um, yeah, and there's that been, currency. And there has been pressure on the dollar, but it's been well, uh, how can I say, uh, telegraphed to the extent that we all know that the Federal Reserve have been cutting rates. Uh, and it means if you hold dollars, you're getting a lower return on your dollars. Yeah. And you might think, well, hang on a second, Jerry. I thought you said that would weaken the currency. What is it weakening it against? The fact yes. is all the currencies that we're talking about, sterling, Swiss franc, Japanese yen, uh, euro, their rates are just down at nothing. Yeah. In fact, the euro is down at more than nothing, at minus half a percent, which is yeah. less than nothing. Same with Japanese, same with um, Swiss. So... US is out on its own, really. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully that's useful. Um, so, the general rule of thumb: uh, if uh, interest rates are more likely to rise, given any economic data, that's likely to be positive for that currency. And if they're less likely to uh, rise or more likely to go down, uh, then uh, it's likely to be uh, weak for uh, the have, currency. Have, having said all that, of course, um, there is a general understanding that you're not allowed to manipulate your currency by cutting or raising rates. That is one of the consequences of it. But remember, the uh, you know, Mr. Trump has already slapped tariffs on the likes of Brazil and Argentina for deliberately creating their currency because it gives them a competitive advantage. Yeah. Um, anyway, there we go. <laughs> big, big subject. 
not much time. To it, talk it, about it's it, a yeah. big subject, actually, because it sort of moves into sort of the problem. You know, what's the problem that we want to sort of have a look at? You know, we've got an election this week um, and we've got, um, you know, a couple of central banks this week. And these are big data items. So the problem I want to sort of go into just a you know, a couple of minutes into uh, before we head off for the day uh, is really to have a look at the what's called slippage or the, the speed of uh, price movement after major events. So when you have something like a general election, you have interest rates. Those are things that have the biggest impact on prices. Um, and generally speaking, you know, you go back to the economic calendar that we were looking at a few minutes ago. Uh, what's expected? really all other things being equal shouldn't really change the price so that's what the data comes out at it shouldn't really change the, the value of the dollar or anything because that's what's priced in the impact on prices comes where the data is different to what's expected higher or low whatever and the more extreme the more likely you're going to get a bigger uh, movement the more relevant the more important the data again the more extreme the movement in price could be if there's a shock announcement so interest rates are as big as they're going to get non-farm payroll in the us which we had last friday non-farm employment change whatever you might want to call it that's also very big as well because of the um uh, the mandate uh, for the fomc makes their unemployment data very very important but also general elections as well so the, the reason why i'm talking about this is that big movement in price whilst it can be exciting can also be quite dangerous and that's something to do with slippage and slippage is when the price that you want to trade at is different to the price that you end up getting filled at by your broker there is a difference in that price and that's because when markets move very fast effectively you are matched the first available buyer or the first available seller um, at the market price so you're going to be matched with that buyer or seller so if the market's moving very very fast indeed your order's triggered and you'll be matched with the next one so if the market's moving too fast it won't be at the price you wanted anymore it'll be the first available buyer or seller so what that basically means is over big market data the risk of slippage uh, is increased and if you have a look at something like a market depth picture here you can search on google images for level two or market depth whatever it may be and the reason why you get slippage or fast movement is usually over data that the orders that are in the market are often reduced they're pulled and that leads to big fast movement in price so if you look at this chart here on the left hand side this is the s p 500 you've got all the orders that are working to buy at these various lower prices and the red ones are all the orders to sell working at all these higher prices it's called the depth of market so for example at 1653.5 there's 1188 contracts looking to sell at that price what you'll generally find over important data is the number of orders that are working will reduce so people will cancel institutions will remove cancel delete their orders which makes the market much more thin okay so when you get a big shock item of data the market will move a lot faster because less contracts are needed to be traded to push that price so hopefully that's all making sense basically what it means is the higher the impact of the data the more it is away from expectations the faster the market is going to move and the more likely it is you might get slippage and arguably the more dangerous it could be for your account that's why trading over major economic data is a dangerous thing now a lot of people have you believe it's a great thing because it's opportunity and it's movement is fantastic and in the aftermath yes you get a lot of movement from it but right at the moment right on that heat of the battle it's actually quite uh, a potentially risky 
thing to do. Uh, so for that very reason, unless I had a massive uh, position or something I'd really important to do over the election, I would not be uh, in the pound uh, on Thursday night or Thursday, just yeah. simply because the risks of whatever it might be is too great. Or the FTSE. And a lot of people might think it's 50-50. It's not because of slippage. It's not. It'd be, the odds would not be in your favor because you're not going to get exited on your trade or maybe even enter your trade straight away at the price you wanted. It's likely to be worse than you wanted. Well, okay. 50-50 is no good because you might as well just toss a coin. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Well, no, the point about 50-50 is, well, you know, it's, it's, it's okay, I can deal with that. It's not. It's going to be like 70-30, 60-40, whatever, depending on how fast that market is moving. Remember, the institutions that make a market and put their prices in here, they're there to make money. Absolutely. They're not there to be mugged off. Yeah, that's right. And they're, they're going to pull a lot of those orders uh, coming into major data, which is why you see those bigger candlesticks uh, over economic data, the big spikes and so on. It's not necessarily because... There's lots of trading when I mean, there might well be, but it's because the depth of market is a lot thinner, which creates more speed of movement. OK, so hopefully that's useful uh, there. So, guys, that's pretty much it uh, from us uh, this uh, week. So a couple of bits I just wanted to uh, just get off me chest, if you like, before we do finish off for the week. Um, our podcast, our podcast is now available on a few different uh, channels. You can listen to it on Apple iTunes, you can listen to it on SoundCloud, Spotify, you can watch and listen to it on YouTube, or even just on our blog page, you've got the web page on screen now, so trend-signal.com slash trendsignal-blog, doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, does it? Uh, or you can search for the Trend Signal podcast on those various platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube there, guys, and you can tune into that every Monday, uh, we release that. Now, guys, if you'd like to know more about trading opportunities, because um, the action doesn't just stop with this podcast, I'm hosting some live events this week where you'll actually get to learn three core rules for one of my favorite trading strategies, one that I continue to use every day. So if you'd like to learn them, I'd like to learn those three rules for identifying trades, uh, please register for my next live and online event by heading to bit.ly slash learn ts so it's a bit of a weird link isn't it bit bit.ly slash learn ts they'll take you to our registration page and you can book for one of those live events so complete that uh, session it's online it's interactive and it's live uh, and that's it guys have a great week and um yeah catch you on monday right. next Cheerio. week bye guys. for now bye bye